Thank you. How is everybody? Can you hear me okay? Great. I very rarely turn around when people say, if you want to do this, have a look at this person, until somebody said, have a little dance, Steve. <laughs> it's funny, I, I thought, I want to see this. <laughs> Did you dance, Steve? No. That's why I wanted to see it. <laughs> anyway, Father, come speak to us. And speak through me, I pray. Amen. Jesus, the Restorer. Mark chapter 14. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. But Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And the men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then Peter. Don't you just love Peter? We're going to be talking about Peter. Then Peter drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Now, I've done a bit of fencing, okay? It's really hard to hit someone on the ear. I think he was going right there. He wasn't going to say, I'll just cut his ear off. I think this fellow meant it. Jesus rebuked Peter, then said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion? That you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted Jesus and fled. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law, all of the establishment, they came together. And Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you were talking about, he said, and went into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, Hey, this fellow, he's one of them. We all know what that feels like, don't we, to be one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And then Peter the man who would die for Christ, who was far superior to all the others, who, if everybody else would deny you, never. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me 
three times. And this man broke down and wept. Sometime after, when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and they shared a meal together. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you really love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Notice what he didn't say. And Jesus said this, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes. Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, do you love me? And Peter was grieved and hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep and Peter, please follow me. I would not, next slide please, I would not have chosen this title, Restoration, for the passage I've just read. I wouldn't have done it. But I do want to thank Ed and Alicia for choosing it. Because it caused me to look into the whole life of Peter, every single word he wrote, to find out what exactly is going on here. And what really does it mean to be restored? So the question I pose to myself is the one I want to pose to you guys today. Who do you really follow? There's two responses I don't want. The first response is from people saying, oh, I don't want paranoia. Do I really follow Jesus? I'm such a worm. I'm so miserable. I burnt the toast this morning. I can't possibly be a Christian. Don't want that. But I particularly don't want the other one, the glib kind. Of course I follow Jesus. Just get to the end. I don't want that either. I really want to pose some sincere reflection before God because this is what this passage has done for me. And I just want to share what's happened to me with you. And I would encourage you today, this morning, for us to do the same sort of thing. And the reason I do this is because I've come to see that the degree to which you opt in, fully in, to follow Jesus Christ is the degree to which you become open to his transforming and restoring love. I'll say that once more. The degree to which you opt into the life of Jesus Christ is the degree to which you open yourself to his transforming and restoring love. So I want to start with a tale of two buildings. Can I have the first building up? There's a toaster for anybody who can tell me what this building is. Which? Bradford, no. Salisbury, no. Durham, no. I'm feeling rather superior like Peter right now. No. No. No, no, no. You're not going to get it. It's Wells Cathedral. Has anybody ever been to Wells Cathedral? And I did this deliberately. It's the back end. Okay? If I did the front end, you'd all know. Because I like to feel superior like Peter. Yes, you Muppets. It's Wells. Everybody should know that. And it's one of the most beautiful places I've been. Next slide. That is called the Scissor Arch. Now, this building is over a thousand. They started building it a thousand years ago. And almost 600 years ago, they built that. And could you remember lots of cathedrals that are kind of pointy and straight? Well, what they've done, this master craftsman has taken all the tension and he's revolved it round in these beautiful circles. 
It's unbelievable. Next slide. That is where they simply went to read the Bible. It's called the chapter room. Just look at it. Look at those fluted columns. I've been in there. I spoke a little tiny whisper. Everybody could hear it. It's incredible. Just look up at the ceiling. Next slide, Sean. Every single aspect of this building is beautiful and covered in beauty. Even, next one, a humble door. Just look at that door. The hinges covered with life and foliage. It's a wonderful place. And then, a week ago, I was reading the news and I came across this other building. Could you put this up, please? Now, this is, has anybody been to Halifax? This is a building in Halifax. What do you think of Halifax? Not bad? It's all right. It's a good shoe shop in Halifax, I found. Just go there. Very good shoe shop. Next slide. Now, this is for the upper class amongst us because they won't know what we're going on about here. Does anybody know what that is in the back of that old kind of car there? Anybody know? Carpet? No. Dead bodies? No. What? Insulation? No. That actually is kebab meat. Now, I thought they should be... I'm sorry. I thought it should be transported in a freezer van, yeah? But that's because I'm from down south, yeah? Because I'm from down south and very upper class. I think meat, refrigeration van. I'm wrong. It's cold up here, Lyndon. Yeah? This was in the height of summer. That was a thing. Height of summer. Flies everywhere. Misty day. And then I thought, well, I'm going to look up because I've never seen a kebab. Has anybody seen a kebab? Never seen one. So I looked it up and I went on YouTube and I came across this clip. There's a piece of, this is a shop in Middlesbrough. It's being toasted and there's something on the top. And it, look it up on YouTube. It was having, a, well, what's all this? Gross. It was having a great time. Up and down and running around. The only thing it wouldn't do is actually eat it, which. I found rather strange. It's the only thing it wouldn't do. It did everything else on it. Um, but then again, because I'm upper class, they then turned that into this. Next slide. It's called a kebab. Yeah? But this, this establishment was in the news for a particular reason. People started to get sick when they entered this particular establishment in Halifax, where there's a good shoe shop. So I thought that Food Standards Agency went and it looked at 60 fast food establishments to find out what goes into these kebabs. It's in the Guardian. Have a look. Can we have the next slide? Right, this is a quiz. Some of the meat found in the kebabs was over. How old do you think it was? Six months. Higher or lower? Actually, four years. Four years. Fantastic. Some lamb, keba lamb kebabs now contained all you have a Guess what percentage of meat in a lamb kebab? Five. Five. Whoa. Yeah. Some of them actually contained 0% lamb. <laughs> You'd be lucky to get four. The next one, 50% were suspect. I didn't research that because I don't want to be ill. But over 8% had meat that. Oh, off the besser. <laughs> oh. She had one last night, didn't she? She's going to be doing that hundreds of times. <laughs> right, anyway. Anybody else want to be embarrassed? 8% admit that. Could not be identified. 
Could have been anything in there. And Nick Clegg, he's desperate now for attention, Nick, bless him. Nick Clegg, remember him? Nobody does. Lib Dem went into coalition with the Tories, finished him. Well, he's worried there possibly could be rat in there. But he's wrong in it because we've seen what rats do. They just do stuff on it. They don't eat it. Tom Saunders, professor of nutrition, said this. A kebab is most probably the worst thing you could possibly eat. 12 grams of salt in one kebab. 22% fat. Well, anyway, in that place in Halifax, traps were put out overnight. And I've guessed how many cockroaches they caught. A thousand. Come on, be serious. 6,984. Look it up. It's in the Guardian. The chefs didn't have to walk. They were just carried around. <laughs> on a bed of... This way. Anyway, when the judge found out all these people were getting sick, he said, right, you're looking at a prison sentence. They turned up. But they would give... Oh, this is the best one. And the owners were charged with 129 food-related offences. Now, I can offend people. I find it very easy. Apparently, it's a gift. <laughs> but I would find it impossible to, in, to insult someone 129 times. So how can you offend food 129 times? What is happening? Is there like a rule, don't let your dog come in and roll on the food? Oh, yeah, you have. There we are. 129 offences. Why am I telling you this? I believe... You become like the thing you follow. So the analogy with Wells Cathedral is I really do believe that the architects there were inspired to in some way glorify God. And you see something of incredible beauty and majesty that has refreshed the lives of over, one, over a million people. Do you know 300,000 people visit Wells Cathedral? And that's exactly the number of times you will go to the toilet if you have one of those kebabs in the night. 300,000. Whereas I think, I don't want to judge anybody. I don't want to do that here. I'm not standing in judgment. But I don't think the other place really values people's digestive systems that much or small animals. You become what you follow. But there's a twist in the tale on here because Christ religious people, they like to present themselves like a bit of a Wells Cathedral sometimes, don't they? Look at me. I'm amazing. I'm like a cathedral. I'm glorious. Just look at me. Bow, Richard. Look at me. What do you think? Impressive? <laughs> he, he's salivating at the jowls, this guy. After seeing that kebab, do you still want one? No. The Bible, Jesus said this, it's not what you look like on the outside that matters. And in fact, it can be a little humble little place that looks a little bit rough around the edges that is just perfect to be filled with the life-transforming spirit of God. Why? Because it knows it's a bit rough around the edges. It knows it's a bit ragged. A little bit like this lady here. I always cry when I see this. Look at that. She hasn't got two pennies to rub together, that lady. Has she? Bless her. Needs a new coat. Looks like she's just seen a Yorkshire kebab as well. She wouldn't feed it to a corgis, would she? Bless her. Could be corgi in it. Anyway. You never know. But we need to be humble. Because when you're humble, you are actually ready to be filled with the life-transforming presence of Christ. And that is what everybody wants. To be transformed. And it doesn't matter what you look like. You might look like a takeaway shop. It doesn't matter. 
And if you feel a little bit like a takeaway shop, great. Because God wants to come into you. And he wants to make you new. And that's what it's all about. So looking at this passage on Peter, I began to realize that restoration is actually what makes us ready for the life of God. That's what it does. Restoration makes us ready for the treasure. So where do we go wrong? So what needs restoring? And how do we make ourselves ready? Now I'm going to go to the story of Noah. Does anybody know the story of Noah? So the story of Noah is this. The earth had become a terrible place. This is how the story goes. Everybody was evil. But there was a key verse that said this, that what had happened is every single intention of the heart of people had become bad. So in the Old Testament, for people who don't read it, the heart is the center of your very existence, the center point. It's where your motives come from. So it guides how you think. It guides how you see. It guides how you respond to people, the heart. So that heart become broken and dark, which meant that every single thing that happened was corrupt to the core. And the next thing it says is that this grieved God where? Right in his heart. My friends, if you're suffering, if you've been hurt, and if there's hurt in the world, it grieves God where? Right to the very center of his existence. And that's how much he loves for us. Thank you so much. I thought you were going to go again. <laughs> I thought they'd run out in the toilet. <laughs> it grieves him right in the center of his existence. So the story goes that what God did is he then sent a flood to clean the world, to renew it, and to start again with a righteous man, a good man called Noah. But then what happened is Noah did start again, and one of the first things he did was plant a vineyard. A bit like the cultural man did. Go on. Make everything good. So he planted a vineyard. But what happened? He took the grapes, made wine, and got absolutely blotto. Absolutely blotto. Do we know what blotto is up north? Okay. Plastered, smashed. Can't say that one, Ed. <laughs> he got absolutely smashed in his tent. He abused and misused. And then the next thing, his son, Ham, came in and misused him in some way. And then God made the statement, he said this, floods are not the answer. It's not the answer. You can't just clean the world up by getting rid of everyone. Do you know why? Because as soon as anybody's around, what's gonna happen? Things are gonna go wrong again. It doesn't matter how righteous you are, how good you are, things go wrong, why? Because it says there's something wrong in here that needs dealing with. That's the whole story. So what is wrong in here? Well, we know that from Genesis one and two. God made the world, and he says to all of us, do you know what, enjoy it, look after it, care for it, nurture it, love one another, release all its potentials. And this is really important. What happened was this. Serpent came, and he said, uh, this God fella, you don't really have to listen to him. In fact, you can become like him and ignore him. You can make the rules up for yourself. You can have the knowledge of good and evil. And then you can live just like God without him anywhere in the picture. He was, in it. He was right at the heart he was aiming. You rule yourself. Forget him. Do what you think best. And that's what happened in the heart. Rebellion from God. We do what we think best. And everything went pear-shaped. 
And that's why there's a lot of bad stuff in the first, in, in the first part of the Bible, because it's the story of what happens when people in their hearts reject God. Everything turns to custard. Everything turns to a Halifax kebab. Let's be honest, when we try and do things on our own, we're not that great. We can't even sort of Brexit, can we? <laughs> really, we can't, can we? Two years. Two long years. I even feel like having a go. Does anybody think, just give it to me. I'll do something. <laughs> it's the only time I feel like getting Trump in. Come on, Trump. Just get us a deal. Anything. We can't sort out Brexit. We can't stop wars. We can't stop polluting the land. We can't seem to get on our neighbours when the music is too loud. That's me, by the way. Not you. Anyway, he's gone now. <laughs> he's in one of those kebabs. How do you think I did so much research on it? And this is the story of Peter and Jesus. This is the context. Because what you have with Peter and Jesus is the story of how Jesus started to engage with a man's heart. Now, there's been reconstructions of what Peter might have looked like. And experts say he most probably would have looked like, could you bet, he would have looked like that, Peter. <laughs> they got DNA, did a reconstruction. And Peter was a fisherman. Now, I actually think he would have looked more like the next slide. When I picture Peter, that's what I picture. I picture a strong man. I picture a man I'd want to go in and get a Brexit deal for me. I think he was a sincere fella. He was an honest fella. He wore his heart on his sleeve. He was candid. He was an action man. Peter was a leader, a real leader, and people followed him. So when you look at the life of Peter, when Christ said, follow me, what did he do? Sold his Forget my business, he dropped everything, business and home, and followed him. One of the first things he did, he got out of the boat to walk on water. That's the kind of fellow Peter was. He was the first person to say, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the one who's come to save us, the son of the living God. When Peter asked the disciples, do you want to leave? He said, where should we go? You have the words of eternal life. If Jesus wanted something done, who did he send? He sent Peter. Peter, go pass. Go make the Passover ready for me. He took him into his inner circle. It was Peter, James, and John. He took him into Gethsemane. He was there at the Transfiguration. He was one of Jesus' closest partners. When they came to take Jesus, what did, what did he do? He took a, he took a sword. I was going to take somebody's head off. This was a brave man. Someone I want on my team. When Jesus was betrayed, he, didn't, he fled, yeah. But he also went straight into the courts to see what was going to happen. Right into the viper's nest. When Jesus rose from the dead, Mary Magdalene, she ran to find, I think it was John and Peter. He's risen, he's risen. What did he do? He ran straight to the tomb. The other guy outran him, which means he most probably was a bit of a big fella. He was. But what happened when he got to the tomb? The other guy was outside, too scared to go in. What does he do? Straight in. He bursts straight in. Then when he sees Christ after the resurrection on a boat, 
He's on a boat. There's Jesus. What does he do? Yeah, he doesn't. There's Jesus. Let's, let's, let's row out. He doesn't do that. He jumps straight out of the boat into the water to see the risen Christ. We can't be hard on Peter. I have quite a lot of affection for him when I read it. But I think the big issue with Peter was this. Peter primarily listened to and followed, can you fill in the blanks, himself. Peter primarily followed and listened to himself. Time and time and time again, Jesus is trying to get through to this man. Follow me. Follow me. And what happened is because Peter primarily, he was a strong man, he was a leader, and he liked the sound of his own voice, he was the spokesman of the disciple. If he thought something was right, then it was right. If he thought he should do something, then he did it. And he was so superior in his attitude that he even started to think he was better than you plebs, you morons, yeah? Why should I listen to you? I'm right. You might betray Christ, you lot. Why? Because that's you, isn't it? Look at you. You have no idea what it's like standing up here. You betray Christ. No, not me. He started to have a superior attitude amongst his peers. And then when you have that kind of attitude that you're right all the time, more right than everybody else, you will guarantee to start to work against the principles of the kingdom. And that's exactly what Peter did. Do you remember the foot washing example of Jesus Christ? Where he came in to wash feet. What did, what did Peter say? You're not washing my feet, Sunbeam. No, that's for other people. Let's get somebody else to do that. And what did Jesus say? Peter, if you don't let me do this, you can have what? A little bit of a part with me? 50% of a part with me, you can have no part with me. And you need to know, learn to do the same, my friend. What else happened? We're at... We're at Gethsemane. And Jesus talked about what the way of the cross. And he explained, I have come not to win by flooding the world or killing people or having a big army and taking people down and slaughtering. I'm going to come and take upon myself the sin of the world in all its evil and absorb it and deal with it that way. And what did Peter say to him? No, 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 no. It even says Peter rebuked him. He didn't say disagreed with him. What are you on about? Have you, have you lost it? I know more than you, God. No, no, no. To the point where Jesus had to say to this exceptional man, get behind me, friend. Get behind me, Satan. You have your mind not on the things of God, but on the things of the world. And then the last one, he's in Gethsemane. There, I'm going to take the sin of the world. He's come to go to the cross and be marred. And what happens? Peter takes up a sword to try and win by violence it's anti-kingdom it's the myth of redempted violence so not only does christ have to turn to peter and say what are you doing he then has to say am i leading a rebellion my friends there was just a little bit too much of peter so my point is this there he is However well-intentioned 
we might be if we think the world revolves around us. If we th the only voice we're open to is the voice of ourselves. If we think that what we see is the sum total of all that can be seen, then we're heading for a bit of a problem. And we're going to come unstuck. Just like Peter came unstuck. It damages relationships. I'm going to close soon. But I want us to take pause at this particular point in time. Has anybody heard of excessive individualism? We talked about this in the, in the socialist realm um, just about the time of Margaret Thatcher, and it's now quite a well known, it's called excessive individualism. And I believe it's an idol of our time, which is crushing particularly our young people, and it's crushing and contaminating us. And it says this, the most important thing in this world is you. The most important perspective on everything is yours. The most important thing to do is what you want to do. And Richard, if you want to put rats in kebabs, go for it. Follow your dream. It's all about you. You don't like kebabs. You told me this morning. Spicy. No tummy. That's excessive individualism. So the balance is this. God doesn't want to crush your individuality. He's made you unique, gifted. He calls you to be an effective covenant partner, to come and work with him. But this is what he does. He calls you to step out of your world and join him in his. And that's the only way you can do anything in this world that's going to bring his kingdom in. And for our young people, we see the, we see the consequences. Alienation. Despondency. Anxiety. Why? Because it's only their world. It's only my world, and it's a hard world to control, isn't it? The world, let alone your own internal world. So that's why we need the gospel. This is the message we need. So the message of the gospel says, Richard, you are so loved by God. He has made you unique with lots of gifts. Come into his world and join him. And he will make you whole. And do you know what? You'll find your true individuality. And then all your gifts will be expressed as you join Christ in making the world a better place. That's the gospel. Who doesn't want that? If you're alone and on your own and isolated and told everything is about you, but the world is pants and your life is going nowhere. And you're expected somehow to control it and make it good. It doesn't happen. We need to step into God's world. And be transformed. So my critical lesson is this. Restoration, I think, is about learning how to love. That's what it is. It's not learning how to get your old self-interest. Me, 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 my voice, my voice, what I want. I'm constantly right. Give it, give it, give it. It's learning to love. And we learn to love by stepping into the life of Jesus Christ and being transformed by his spirit and his presence. And then we can go out and we can actually foot wash and then we can actually go out and we can start to serve the world. So let me finish on this point. The Bible is a work of literary genius. The number three is very important, Trinity. It means completeness. Do you know what? It was three times Christ said to Peter, follow me. Beginning, middle and end of his ministry. Three times Peter disowned him. 
It was three times Christ asked, do you love me? And the image is this. My friends, God calls us to follow him three times, i.e. completely. Not a little bit in here. No, no, follow me. Peter, follow me. Peter, follow me. Do you know what? We can let him down completely, just as Peter did. But the wonderful thing is that God has promised to restore us, what? A little bit? Tiny bit? No, completely. So that we can now follow and serve him completely. And it's all about learning to love. Let me finish with a prayer. Dear Father, forgive me. There's a lot of me in my world. There's a lot of what I see and there's a lot of what I think. And there's a lot of self. And I pray through your spirit that we have far more of you. Help me move deeper and deeper into the life of Christ. Filled by his love. So that my impulse is to serve and to join you in making the world a kingdom world, fit for a king called Jesus Christ. Peter went on to be a great leader in the, in the early church. Do you know that? One of the best we've had. And I'll finish with his words and one of Paul. Could we just scroll through them? Peter went on to say this. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. Can we get the last one up? Is that easy, Sean? Great. My brothers and sisters, do not lord it over others, which he did, but care for them and watch over them, considering their needs above your own. Clothe yourselves, therefore, with what? Arrogance? I know best? No, with humility. And use whatever gift you have to serve your own interests? No, others. And above all, love one another deeply from where the heart the center point of your very existence because love covers over a multitude of sins and he finishes by saying and the jesus i know the jesus i met the jesus i knew with the god of all grace he will himself restore you so before i call the band up i don't want any paranoia is that okay Oh, I'm such a worm. I'm so selfish. And also, I really don't want... Yeah, yeah, of course I follow him. I've said the prayer. Guys, just reflect for one minute, two minutes, how we can make a commitment to move deeper and deeper into the life, which means love of Jesus Christ. And then if the band could come up.